Good morning. And welcome to this outpost of the kingdom of God. We've spent the last several weeks uh, exploring some really deep but also just universal truths, some really big picture ideas that apply to every single person, every single small group, every single church that truly wants to follow Jesus. I'm pretty sure that most of you knew most of these things before, but they're worth going back over. They're worth repeating. They're worth exploring further and refocusing on because it's easy sometimes to lose track. As busy as all of us are today um, in our culture, just the way our lives go, even if we're doing only good things, it's really easy to lose track that what we're here for is to build the kingdom of God. That the reason that we have jobs and all the opportunities that we have, the reason we have freedom to meet here like this, the reason we have anything that we have is so that we can build the kingdom of God, that we can fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us, so that we can build our lives day after day, choice after choice on the teachings of Jesus. It's worth repeating, it's worth going back over, that that is the big picture. That's where we're at. And that's where we've been the last several weeks. But for the next several weeks, we're going to zoom in really tight. We're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines. These are practices that people have used to connect with God since even before Jesus walked on the planet. Since even before David walked on the planet and we, God started using the imagery of a kingdom pretty commonly throughout the rest of the scripture. Before all of that, from the very beginning when people started trying to connect with God and respond to the ways that God was trying to connect with them. These disciplines, these practices were the things that were the most effective the most meaningful. And so we're going to work our way through several of these because this is, this is my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we can get always be growing, always be getting closer and closer to God, always getting more and more effective. The spiritual disciplines are kind of like power tools, spiritual power tools. If I've got a screw here that I started in this board, and let's say that for some reason I really need I really need this screw to go through that board. If all I have, if all I choose to use is whatever I have on hand, thank you for five of you that got that. I may, with a lot of determination and a lot of time, I may make some progress, but chances are I'm not going to get very far. It's not because I don't want to. It's not because I don't believe it's the right thing to do. It's not because I don't have enough dedication it's because I don't have what I need but if I had a tool if I had something that that helps me do it a little bit better I'm going to make a little bit more progress it's going to amplify what I can do it's going to amplify my abilities a little bit and there are spiritual tools that we have that that um that kind of do that for us the spiritual disciplines though Spiritual disciplines are the power tools. They're the stuff that actually make it happen. If you actually really want to become a giving person, if you really want to become an unselfish person, if you actually want to look at the world the way God looks at the world, these are the things that help you do that. These are the things that God asks us to do on a regular basis so that we can actually... get the job done. Okay, so that's, what we're, that's why we're going to do a series right now on the spiritual disciplines, because they work. 
If you're keeping track in here, some of you like to take notes. I just gave you the first answer. Spiritual disciplines are powered like power tools. If you're not, that's okay. I hope you can pay attention without that. But we're going to move pretty fast today. This is important stuff, and I want to make sure that everybody gets it. Here's the thing that we miss a lot of times. Nothing good, nothing really good actually comes easily. And one of the reasons that as Christians that we get confused by this is because salvation is instant. When we become Christians, when we offer our lives to Christ, when we be, are, submit to the waters of baptism, where our sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, we start a new life. We, on one side of that, we are enemies of God. On the other side, we are his allies. On one side of, of our conversion, we are foreigners. On the other side, we are his friends, even his family. All of that changes instantly. But not everything in our daily lives changed yet. It, it, it's like you, you move into a mansion and, and you're, new, you're adopted into a new family and your, your new father says, every room in the house is available. All the tools in the garage are available. We start work tomorrow morning. You still have to get something done. You, you suddenly, everything's changed about who you are and what you're about, but there's still stuff that needs to be done and it takes work. Every illustration Jesus gave us about the kingdom talked about things that take time and hard work and faithfulness. Whether that was little seeds that grow, whether that is people who work to get rid of everything else in their whole life to trade it for a treasure they found. Whether that is people who are given something, entrusted with something, and told that they're supposed to make more out of it. And that requires them to work hard and work daily and consistently and strategically. The Apostle Paul, one of his favorite metaphors is sports. And there's a good reason. Sports take a lot of passion to win. There's a certain amount of talent, certain amount of ability that are required to win at, at different sports. But anyone who's ever done anything to do with sports knows there's a lot more to that. There's consistent training. There has to be practice. There has to be a total dedication to win. So Paul applies that same idea. We're going to look at this several times in the next couple of weeks. But here's one of the verses, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. And he applies this to our spiritual lives. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Even the most gifted athletes know that they have to work out. They have to eat well. They have to avoid things, even some things that are harmless to most of us. They're not a big deal. They have to avoid things that slow them down or distract them from what they have to do. They know they have to do certain things daily, certain things weekly, certain things annually that keep them on track, keep them focused, keep them growing, keep them becoming more and more of what they already are. Paul had spent his entire life up until his conversion finding all of his value, all of his self-worth, all of his purpose in his status. He was a Benjamite, which was one of the most revered tribes of Israel. He was a Pharisee, which was the most legalistically perfect people around. And of the Pharisees, he honestly said he had legalistic righteousness, which meant he, was, he had not broken any of the laws, any of them. That's kind of weird. That's kind of hard. 
That's, that's pretty impressive. But he had found all of his worth in this, and he had lived this life, and, and yet the first time we meet him, this legalistically perfect guy, he's standing watching them stone Stephen to death and approving of it. And the very next thing he does is step it up. The, the, the persecution that the church um, the persecution the church faced that I mentioned last week, that was largely at the hands of this guy. At the time, his name was Saul. Then his, then his name got changed to Paul because he met Jesus. And that changed everything. And the more he spent time with Jesus and the more he spent time with those who had actually spent physical time with Jesus, the more he studied the scriptures in light of Jesus, the more he reimagined all the stuff that he had learned his whole life about the Old Testament in light of Jesus being the Messiah, everything changed. And he moved from being legalistic and blind to being truly transformed and able to see. That is what the spiritual disciplines do for us. That is what God and his Holy Spirit does in us because they, they just like this, there's power, there's stuff going on in this thing that just will not happen in my hand, will not happen in a hand tool. There's something here, there's, there's energy, there's technology, there's stuff that's going on that I just can't access unless I have access to this. The Holy Spirit gives us this access, the spiritual disciplines helps us connect with it. Would you read with me some of Paul's words from Philippians chapter 3? Uh, we're going to start with verse 7. In, in this, this is one of several passages where he just outlines what I just told you. Where he says, this is how I used to look at everything. These are the things I used to find my worth and my purpose in. But not anymore. Philippians 3 verse 7. Would, would you just read with me as, as we go through this? I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So this phrase, all for the prize, it's not just a catchy slogan. It's not just something that looks good on a t-shirt. This is a worldview. This is a lifestyle. 
This is what it, how Christians look at everything. This is what it looks like when, how we see everything else. These are the glasses that we wear. All for the prize means what really matters is knowing Christ, knowing him more and more and more and more throughout life, and eventually knowing him completely in eternity. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's what matters. It's that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. All for the prize is the lifestyle and the worldview of a a true follower of Jesus. There's a story in Mark chapter 10 where a rich man came to Jesus. And like Paul, this man had spent his whole life finding his self-worth and his purpose in his status and also in his stuff. This guy had spent his whole life accumulating wealth. Somehow, if he's telling the truth, it sounds like he is, he had not broken any of the laws either. And it is possible. This is possible. You can get through your whole life and not kill anyone. I hope you know that. This can happen. You can get through your whole life and never steal anything, never commit adultery. It's, it's possible. You can do this. There, are, there, there is a way to be legalistic righteousness, sometimes even just with whatever you have on hand, or with even just some simple spiritual tools. But what for us to truly be like God, we have to have something more. So he comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that. I've actually done that. I've done that my whole life. And Jesus said, knowing the guy's heart, Jesus said, okay. There's one more thing. You need to sell your possessions and give everything to the poor. Mark tells us that the man walked away sadly because he had a lot of possessions. His status, his self-worth was so caught up in that, in in his status, in his, his, his riches, that he actually chose that over God. This takes me back to one of the most intense Bible studies of one verse that I've ever done in my life. I had the privilege of working on the Bible translation for the New Testament in Kire back in Papua New Guinea. The year after I graduated high school, right before I came back to go to Bible college, I I worked. And thankfully, I had not only mom and dad's help, but I had all of their tools available, all of the, all the commentaries and all the computers and all of that stuff, had the whole team that they had set up, all the national translators and all the people that we worked with um, for years. I'd grown up there, so I, I spoke the language almost completely fluently. Seemed pretty easy. But when we got to what Jesus said about this story, we spent a lot of time because imagine a culture and a language that works like this. In their language, first of all, in, uh, it's called kire. They don't make comparisons, okay? They don't say, this is easy, this is easier. They say, this is easy, this is extremely easy, period. There's no way to say hard, harder, hardest. There's hard, oh, that's really, really hard. They, they don't make comparisons. Uh, they've never seen a camel. They know what needles are. But needles have little holes in them, not eyes. Eyes are these things, okay? In their culture, everyone has the same amount of stuff, and there's nobody really in charge. So anything that looks like riches or anything that looks like a king or a kingdom, totally foreign. So imagine translating this verse, Mark 10, 25. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can you see why that took a while? And, and, and if you really want to know about Bible translation and all the different things that, get, that go into that, you really should talk to my dad. I'd be glad to talk to you a little bit more about it. I've got a little bit of knowledge about it. But I'm going to skip to the chase and learn what I really learned, what I've never forgotten from that hard week of how do we say this clearest. Here, here's the truth that I saw. What Jesus was really communicating here was that without supernatural help, Someone who finds their status, their purpose in stuff and in status cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have to have help because the kingdom of God, like we just explored for several weeks in a row, the kingdom of God is wherever God is fully in charge, where God rules as king, where he makes the rules. He owns everything. Everything else is just what we do for him. And if we find our worth anywhere else, it's literally impossible without his help. We've got to find ways to connect us to his power. We've got to find ways to connect him to his help and to his will. This is, and on the other side of this, though, is a simplicity and a joy that no one who finds their worth only in status and stuff can ever experience. So for the next several, the rest of this message, we're just going to dig into those things, and I hope you can you can see this. In Proverbs 15, 16, he says, better to have a little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Hard work's a given, okay? That's going to happen. But how many know that you've spent a lot of time in some point in your life, working really, really hard, and then realized what you were working on was not a good idea. Has this ever happened to you? I'm raising my hand really high. The thing that you had invested so much in, all of your emotion, all of your money, all of your time, you finally realized looking back, that was kind of a waste of time. It was a chasing after the wind. It's so much better to do the stuff that's important. And for us as believers, what's important is God's purposes. If you're really interested in the spiritual disciplines and you want to work way ahead of me, maybe some of you have read, maybe some of you know more about this than I ever will, and that's wonderful. But if you're, if you're just kind of, if this sounds new to you for some reason, I highly recommend an author named Richard Foster. I'm not going to quote a lot from him this morning, but I'm going to get you started and you'll hear more from him soon. He's kind of like a modern day expert on these really ancient practices. But here's something that he said. Duplicity is bondage. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. Whenever you have a devoid, divided loyalty, this is what's going to happen. Anxiety and fear. If you try to find your joy, your purpose, your status, everything, whatever else, whatever makes it seem like life is worth living in more than one place, this is what you're going to get. Anxiety and fear. You're not going to double your joy, enjoyment. Having two masters is not going to make it even better. It's not going to make it twice as good. It's going to ruin it. It's going to mess everything up. But honestly, simplicity, the discipline of simplicity is just this simple. Are you ready? It's just methodically living out this value system. When you sit down to make a schedule, 
your annual schedule, your monthly schedule, your weekly schedule, your daily schedule, what you're going to do in the next five minutes. You say, how do I put God first? How do I put others first? What goes on here and what probably shouldn't to make way for this stuff that's super important? When you talk about um, your relationships and you say, which, invest, which relationships do I invest in the most? Which battles do I choose? How many know what I'm talking about that? Okay, good. When you, we're making these choices. How, how, how do I make sure that what I'm choosing to the best of my ability today is trying to put God and his people first instead of me, myself? How do I do that? What, what am I planning around and why? You just simply ask those questions as you go through your daily life, the daily choices you make. You go, if I'm living to build the kingdom of God, if my only master is God, how do I make that happen in everything that I do today, and this week, this month, this year? This is what Jesus is talking about when he said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's what the writer of Hebrews meant when he said, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Richard Foster says, simplicity is freedom. Simplicity brings joy and balance. There's not a screen thing for this, but this is in your bulletin. If you're keeping track, I want you to know this. In simplicity, we prioritize God and others, and we get rid of our idols and distractions. We prioritize God and others, and we get rid of our idols and our distractions. And when you do that, you find joy and balance. You find the things that everybody's trying to look for. But the problem, listen, I'm going to say it one more time. What we try to do to find balance is we go, I'm going to have some God stuff over here and some me stuff over here. I'm going to have some other people stuff over here and some me stuff over here. I'm going to have some godly spiritual stuff over here. I'm going to have some worldly just me stuff over here. And I'm going to have a balanced life because of that. It doesn't work. You're doing something that's just absolutely impossible. It can't happen. It's like a camel trying to crawl through the eye of a needle. Whether that's literally a needle, some people debate over that, whether it's the little gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle where somebody had to help the camel and take all the stuff off and they had to crawl through. I don't know. The point is this. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't do that. You've got to do whatever it takes to simplify your life and to make sure that the choices you're making are focused on what's really important. Whatever that means between you and God. This happens in just the, even in the things that we know and that we believe to be true. Even the things that somebody tells us that we think, this makes a lot of sense. We gotta fit this into, does it fit in the worldview? Does it fit in the lifestyle of a true follower of Jesus? Sometimes what happens is we try to believe this and this, and the two clash, and that's dangerous. Sometimes we say, can it fit in? Can it fit? And we realize, oh, yes, it can. I've got two quotes like that this morning for you, kind of show how that works. First one is from Pablo Picasso. As far as I know, Pablo Picasso was not a believer at all, uh, as far as I can tell. 
But this is what he said the meaning of life was. He said the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. That sounds beautiful and profound, doesn't it? Depends on your worldview. If you're looking at life and you say it's all about me, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me feel fulfilled? What's going to make me feel great? It's not going to be as fulfilling as you think. But what about if we could take that idea and fit it into the kingdom of God? What if we know that the all good gifts come from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows? That's what James tells us. What about if we know that everything good that we have, every talent we have, every opportunity we have comes from our King, and He's got a purpose for that? Suddenly, the meaning of life is to find your gift, and the purpose of life is to give it away. That's how that works. Here's another one, Winston Churchill. I think he was kind of a believer. I'm not sure I agree with everything he says about God, but that's not the point. This is what he said about giving. He says, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And once again, if you try to do that on your own, this is outside of the kingdom of God. Here's what I want to do. I want to be the most giving person, and that's going to really fulfill me. You're going to come up empty because what you're really focusing on is yourself. And, and this, this obtuse bullseye of fulfillment on the other side. But if you know that making a living is how you survive, but what we give, what we do in the world, what we literally give money-wise, time-wise, energy-wise, that is what actually is what life is about. That fits within the kingdom of God. Is this making sense? Do you guys get this? Awesome. Giving is a natural expression of simplicity. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual discipline in and all of itself. Sometimes, just like simplicity, you just got to go, well, I could spend the money on this, and I don't think that's wrong. But I'm all about putting God and others first, so I'm going to do this instead. I could go out to eat today, and that sounds great. I don't have enough money to do both today. But instead of going out to eat, I'm going to do this. I could buy that really cool toy. I could buy that whatever thing that I've been wanting for a long time. Or I could make sure that this program at the church happens. I could put a little bit more in that savings account or that stock thing or whatever. Wonderful thing to do. But today, I can't do both. What if I do this? Giving can be something all in and of itself, but it's also a, just a natural expression of living with simplicity, of, of daily making these choices, just applying these things to life. I'm telling you, though, that just like this whole power tool idea, when you give, Jesus made this very clear several times. We'll look at this again later. When you give and you give with something that's easy, something you have a lot of, something that it's, it's easy to give, it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to do. But when it really transforms you, when you've got some power tools kind of level stuff going on, is when you give sacrificially. When you give up, you, you don't eat because you didn't do it, because you gave. You give up an idol. You give up an addiction. You give up something that you have spent a lot of time and emotional energy and a lot of money on over the years. You give that up to bless someone else. Everything changes inside of you when you do that. When you can put these two ideas, simplicity and giving together, and you do it at your own expense, 
Things happen that just can't happen in the natural world. Things happen in your soul that just cannot happen on your own. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes over. We're about to start wrapping up here this morning, and we've got some specific challenges and some really big ideas, that easy ideas that I want to apply with. But as we do this, I want to make just a couple last things super clear. And these are going to apply to all these spiritual disciplines and especially to these this morning. First off, this is not fake it till you make it. The spiritual disciplines have nothing to do with impressing other people or helping us measure our own spirituality or measure someone else's spirituality. We don't do them for other people. That We do them for God. They are tools, not rules. That actually has a ring to it. Would you say that with me? Spiritual disciplines are tools, not rules. This is really important. They are not there to replace the Old Testament legalism that Paul and so many else got caught up in. This is, this is just simple obedience between you and God. Here's what they are. They are about obeying now because you choose to put your king first. That's what they're about. You choose today. It's not pretending that you feel like it. It's not pretending that you're naturally that kind of a person. It's not trying to convince other people or God or even yourself that this is who you are yet. It's saying, you know what? You know what is true about me? My king is first. And I put other people first as well as, I'm sorry, I put God and other people first. This is who I am. And even though I don't feel like it yet, I'm going to do this because my king said so. And when you do that, something shifts. Something starts changing inside of you and you start becoming that other person. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously or he will give you everything you need. There's another story right next to the story of the rich man where it's not Jesus sending people away, it's his disciples. People had brought their children to him, and they wanted him to bless them. And the disciples are trying to send them away. And Jesus surprises them again. They expected him to come and to welcome the rich guy, and he he basically sends him away. Instead, he welcomes the children. I've read so many commentaries. I have heard so many sermons about what this means. I I think they're probably all right, honestly. There are so many layers to what that could mean and what it does. But this morning, would you just kind of let your heart kind of percolate on this one? Those children had no duplicity. It wasn't even their idea to come to Jesus that day. They were being brought there. They had no hidden agenda. They had no ax to grind. They weren't trying to impress anybody. They knew they were children. They knew they needed to learn. They knew they needed to grow. It was simple. But when they got on Jesus' lap, when they accepted his blessing, they totally accepted it. Whatever else that means, that's simplicity. And giving, we're going to give you a chance right now to give. There's some people that are going to uh, take up an offering as I say these last few things. Um, if you guys can go ahead and do that. Um, Rick Nipper and the rest of the elders had an awesome idea that we as a church could reach out and help the victims of Hurricane Michael. So we did some research and almost everybody we asked pointed us to this awesome organization called IDES, the International Disaster Emergency Service. Um, You should see their website, IDES.org. That's actually in the bulletin insert if you want to check that out. 
um, if you don't have a checkbook or cash with you this morning and you would like to give to this, you can give online there. And it won't be too much longer and we'll be able to uh, give online um, here at Morrison Hill too. When we're ready, totally ready for that, we'll let you know. But this morning, just go ahead, guys. Go ahead and um, take this up. If you can, if God is leading you to give this morning, um, I I challenge you to do that. Um, I'm not going to... Again, nobody's looking. We don't have any cameras hidden or anything like that. We just want to give you an opportunity this morning to give. Give a little bit more than what you expected to give this morning. Give something that you didn't expect to come to. Uh, we did try to warn you on this, but we're, we're taking two offerings here. I hope, you, I hope you see how that goes. But here's the last couple things. While those are going around, here's just some other practical ideas, ways to practice simplicity. Here's how simple it is. But you will be amazed if you try these, just how much they transform you and your family's lives. Number one, enjoy some free public stuff. Rick Ross and all his crew, they provide so many awesome things. And I mean, you have to buy the turkey legs and stuff. But there's so much great stuff to do. And all the walking trails and going down to the lake and all that stuff is totally free. Enjoy the stuff that's free. Enjoy the stuff that you don't have to pay for. You don't have to spend on yourself at all. It's just already there. If you don't want to go outside or it's raining or whatever, how about enjoy something you already have? Almost everybody I know has some books or some board games or some video games, some movie collections. They have um, music either on CDs or digitally in their cloud or something like that. Just enjoy something you already have and be thankful for it. Take a moment and just rewatch a movie you watched a long time ago and say, thank you, God. It, It can literally be that easy. You can choose to serve instead of be entertained. Maybe you're wanting to go out to the movies and instead you go over to CARM and you volunteer your time. You can do this as a family with friends. You can do it alone. It transforms everything. Speaking of CARM, you can simplify your life. And this is one of the practical ways that I, try to, I personally try to do every year. And that is to just simplify my closet. If I realize there's a bunch of stuff in there and I can't ever find the stuff that I actually use for all the stuff that I don't use, get rid of all the stuff I don't use. It can literally be that simple. And here's just a cool thing about CARM. When you, t- when you take it to CARM, um, not only can you get like CARM bucks and stuff like that, trade in a whole bunch of stuff for one thing you'll actually use for cheap, but they also give the church. If you tell them you're from Morrison Hill Christian Church, they'll give us credit and we're able to give those away to the, um, to the people we help through our benevolence program. So you get double, double duty that way. I love that. Simplify your life. Give all of these things. Finally, here's one last idea, and then the actual altar call. If you know that there is something in your life, it doesn't have to be sinful, but especially if it's sinful, that for whatever reason, you have chosen to keep this in your life. It costs money, it causes guilt, it, causes, it messes with your reputation, whatever it is. Give that up. Simplify your life and give that money to something else instead. I am telling you, you won't believe the change that will make in your soul and in every part of your life. This morning, if you would, whatever decision you need to make, if you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, 
or you'd like to rededicate your life, you'd like to join our church, whatever, we invite you to please come right now. If you just want prayer, if you want to just come down, we'll pray with you. I already know, I'm so excited. One person has already said that they will come today and get baptized. I'm so excited about that. But if there's anybody else, would you come now as we stand and sing?